Please be seated. Sean? Good morning, dear friends. It's good to see you this morning. It's been a wonderful day of worship. I've always, always looked forward to Sunday, first day of the week, when God's people come together to worship Him and give praise to His name. So good to see all of you here this morning. As we begin our study this morning from God's Word, I want to ask you to consider again our scripture reading from earlier this morning. Do you remember the scripture reading from earlier this morning? Do you remember how Brother John read to us from Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 29? I hope you pay very close attention to those verses that were read to us this morning because in them we find some very interesting. In them we find Job doing something very interesting. In them we see that while going through all kinds of problems and sufferings in this life, Job starts thinking about the afterlife. He starts thinking about the next life. He starts thinking about what things are going to be like in eternity. I submit that what Job is pondering on there in those verses is something that a lot of people still ponder on in their lives today. It's something that I ponder on from time to time in my life, and I'm pretty sure that you ponder on that from time to time in your own life. In fact, I'm going to tell you that out of all of the questions I receive as a preacher, probably the most asked questions I receive are questions about this. There are questions about the afterlife. There are questions about our existence beyond this life. They are especially questions about heaven. You see, as a preacher, I get a lot of questions from members of the family of God about heaven. In fact, this year alone, I've received some questions from members of the Monta Vista family about heaven, and I've also received some questions from people and other places I have been blessed to preach in. And what I just want to do this morning, if you don't mind, is I just want to answer some of those questions. If you don't mind this morning in our study from God's word, I just want to take a few minutes to answer some questions that people have about heaven. I want to share with you some things that people here and elsewhere have told me that they really want to know about heaven. And here's one question right here. One question that some people have, especially people of the world, is they want to know, why should we want to go? Why should we want to go to heaven? Why should I want to go to heaven? Why should you want to go to heaven? Why should any person want to go to heaven? I mean, we talk about, we talk about heaven a lot, right? As the people of God, we believe in heaven. We focus on heaven. We say over and over again that we want to be in heaven when the Lord comes back one day like a thief in the night. We say all the time that, hey, I want to go to heaven. But some people want to know, why do we want to go? Why do we want to go to heaven? I mean, what makes living in heaven so much better than living in this world? How would you answer that question if someone puts you on the spot? 
If someone put you on the spot this morning, if they pulled you aside and asked you, why do you want to go to heaven? Why do you want to go to heaven for eternity? What would you say? Someone says, well, I want to go to heaven because heaven's going to be perfect. It's going to be perfect. I'm not going to have to suffer in my body anymore. I'm not going to have to deal with all kinds of aches and pains and, and problems in my body. I'm going to have perfect peace and perfect comfort and perfect security. And I'm going to get to experience heaven's perfect beauty. And I'm going to get to be reunited with all my loved ones who've died in the Lord. In heaven, I'm going to get to see the person who, who was my spouse again. I'm going to get to see my mama. I'm going to get to see my daddy. I'm going to see my kids, my grandkids, my grandparents, my, my brothers and sisters in Christ who really inspired me and helped me serve the Lord. Someone else says, well, I want to go to heaven because it's not hell. It's not that place of eternal fire where the devil's going to be with his angels and there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, I may not get to camp and fish and play golf and Xbox 360 in heaven, but I don't have to burn. I don't have to suffer. I don't have to be in torment forever and ever and ever. Those are the kinds of answers that I typically hear Christians give. When it comes to this question, and while many of those answers can be supported with scriptures, let me suggest that in the Bible, in the word of God, none of those things are the main focus. None of those things are the main thing that the Bible emphasized about heaven. None of those things are the best thing about heaven and why we should want to go there forever. And I want to give you some Bible to back that up. I want to give you Bible answers to Bible questions. So I'm going to give you some scriptures this morning. And I want to ask you to first go to John chapter 14. Will you go into your Bible, please, to John chapter 14. I'm going to be giving you a lot of Bible this morning. And we're going to go to John chapter 14. We're going to read the words of Jesus. This is Jesus not long before he would be betrayed by Judas and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and eventually crucified on a cross for the sins of the world. Not long before those things took place, Jesus comforted his apostles with these words. In John chapter 14 and verse 1, Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house. And there, Jesus is talking about heaven. And he says, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. I want you to put that with what we find in the book of Revelation. Go in your Bible to Revelation chapter four, please. In Revelation chapter 4, we get a glimpse behind the curtain. We get a glimpse into heaven. We get to see what's going on in heaven and why heaven is so great. And in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, the apostle John says this. He says, after these things I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard 
Like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit, John says, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and, and a sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. I want you to put that with one more place of scripture, one more text. Revelation 21. I want you to go to Revelation 21. And again, I think we're getting a glimpse behind the spiritual curtain. We're seeing what makes heaven so great. And in Revelation 21 in verse 1, John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first, first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write for these words are faithful and true. Do you see where the emphasis is? Do, do you see where the emphasis is being placed? In all of these verses, do you see how the main thing that the Bible emphasizes about heaven is not the fact that we're going to be reunited with saints who departed before us? It's not heaven's perfect beauty or perfect glory or perfect security. It's not the fact that we're going to be able to be in heaven and have no, not have to worry about having aches and pains in our body. And we're going to be able to sit down with the Apostle Paul and find out, hey, what exactly was your thorn in the flesh? That's not the main thing that the Bible emphasizes about heaven. Instead, the main emphasis concerning heaven in the Bible is God. It is God it is the fact that in heaven, we're going to have the amazing privilege of being with God. We're going to be able to see God. We're going to be able to live with God. We're going to be able to dwell forever in the actual presence of the one we're supposed to love more than anyone else. We're going to be able to regain what was lost all the way back in the Garden of Eden. If you remember in Genesis chapter 3, in Genesis 3, we learn that in the days of Adam and Eve, while they were dwelling in the Garden of Eden, as Brother Lance said this morning, they were actually able to walk with God. They were able to talk with God. They were able to be in the actual presence of God, but they lost that when they sinned. And unfortunately, we also have sinned. But because of what Jesus did at Calvary, what was lost in Eden will be restored in heaven. Perfect relationship and perfect fellowship with God will be restored in heaven and let me tell you something, my friends, if that's not the main reason, if being with God is not the main reason why you want to go to heaven this morning, then you've missed it. 
We've totally missed it. If God is not the main reason why we want to go to heaven, then we have missed it. We have missed what the Bible is really all about. We have missed the entire theme of Scripture. We have missed what really happened to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We have missed what Jesus really came to do at the cross. You see, heaven is not for people who merely want to meet saints that we can read about in the Bible and be reunited with departed loved ones. It's not for people who want to spend eternity on a spiritual vacation or because they just want to avoid going to hell. No, heaven above anything else is for people who want to be with God. It's for people who want to see God. It's for people who love God and obey God and respect God. It's for people who want to be in God's presence now and in his actual presence for eternity. Why should we want to go to heaven? We should want to go to heaven so we can be with our father. So we can be with our heavenly father forever. If that's not the main reason we want to go, then we need to do some evaluating of our hearts and our lives this morning. We should want to go to heaven to be with God. But this does bring us to a second question that a lot of people have. And this is that is this question. Some people want to know, OK, what is it going to be like? Okay, I I know God is in heaven, but what is heaven really going to be like? I get this question a lot from people from time to time. And when people ask me this question, they're asking it because they are afraid. They are afraid. They are afraid that heaven is going to be boring. They are afraid that heaven is going to be dull and lacking any kind of excitement. They are afraid that in heaven we're going to be wearing white robes and playing golden hearts and standing in the same spot on a cloud forever. In a lot of people's minds, that doesn't sound very fun. That doesn't sound very exciting. That doesn't sound as entertaining as the stuff we get to do now while living on this earth. I mean, now as I live on this earth, I got social media to keep me occupied. I got Netflix. I got Disney Plus. I got sports I can watch on TV and fantasy football and PlayStation and Xbox. And I can play golf and hike and fish and camp and go to theme parks and concerts. How can heaven be any better than that? How can heaven be any more exciting than all the fun stuff I get to do in my house and with other people on this planet? That's what some people want to know. And so let me say a couple of things about that. First, let me say this. First, let me say that much of what people believe about heaven and what heaven is going to be like is wrong. It is unbiblical and it's unscriptural. Listen carefully. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that in heaven we're going to be angels. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that in heaven we're going to be given some wings and we're going to be flying around all over the place. Nowhere in heaven does it say or in the Bible does it say that in heaven we're going to be standing on actual clouds and playing actual hearts, harps and heaven's going to be one big playground or spiritual theme park. Bible doesn't say that. Bible doesn't say that. Bible also doesn't say that Jesus came to this earth to suffer and die and be raised from the dead and come back one day to take us to a place that's going to be boring and dull 
and lacking any kind of excitement and we're really going to miss being able to golf and hunt and, and, and play fantasy football. Bible didn't say that either. Instead, this is what the Bible says. Go back to Revelation chapter four again, please. Go back to Revelation chapter four. And I just want to pick up with that reading in Revelation four and verse five. In Revelation chapter four, after telling us about God sitting on his throne in heaven, in Revelation four and verse five, John goes on to say this. And, and try to picture this symbolic language in your mind if you can. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature was like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them has six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him, who sits on the throne to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and they were created. Now I want you to put that scene with Revelation chapter 19. Go to Revelation 19 and this is another place I think we get a glimpse into heaven. Revelation 19, verse 1. Listen to what the Bible says here. John says, after these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. A great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of her bondservants, of, of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God. All of you, his bondservants, you who fear him, the great and small. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Hallelujah. For the Lord, our God, the almighty reigns. Let those verses just kind of immerse themselves in your heart for just a moment. Let me ask you a question. When you heard me read those verses, when you heard me read what the Bible says here in those verses, does any of that look or sound boring to you? Does any of that sound dull? Does any of that give you the impression that in heaven we're going to be sitting around and all of a sudden we're going to start missing our iPhones? And we're going to miss our iPads and we're going to go to God and say, hey, God, you got a crossword puzzle around here to give me something to do. Do you get that impression when you read those verses? I don't. I don't get that impression at all about heaven. Instead, when I read those verses, I see that heaven is going to be awesome. 
Heaven is going to be it's going to be exciting. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be a place of praise and passionate and perfect and enthusiastic worship and service to God. I want you to think about some of the best worship assemblies you've ever been part of in your life. Can you think of some of those right now? I want you to think about some of the just the best worship assemblies you've been part of in your whole life. Think about those those worship assemblies where 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 everything was on point. You could just feel that everybody here, they're focused on worshiping God today. They're passionate today. And all the songs were on point. All the song choices were on point. Everybody was singing loud. Everybody was singing out. The prayers were on point. The prayers were thoughtful. The, the giving was exciting. You could tell people were reverent when taking the Lord's Supper. Can, can you think about those worship assemblies in your mind? Can you think about those worship assemblies to where when you left that assembly, you were just on fire. You were excited and you were ready to take on the world. You were ready for Monday the next day. Do you remember those? You remember those worship assemblies? You've been part of worship assemblies like that? If so, then I want you to know something. I want you to know that you can think about the best worship assembly you've ever been part of in your life, and it doesn't compare to heaven. Heaven's going to be so much better than the best worship assembly you've ever been part of in your life. Heaven is going to be a place of perfect worship for ever. And if that doesn't excite you, then you need to ask yourself, why? Why doesn't a place of passionate worship and, and perfect service to God, why doesn't that excite you? Could it be because you've gotten too comfortable in this world? Could it be because you have forgotten that this world is not your true home, and as a child of God, your citizenship is in heaven. Could it be because maybe you've gotten too carnal-minded, and you've gotten too worldly and too materialistic in your thinking? Could it be because you're not very passionate about worshiping God now? Maybe, that does, maybe that's why it doesn't excite you. Listen carefully. If we struggle, if we struggle with being passionate and enthusiastic and zealous about worshiping God now, then heaven is not for us. If we struggle with assembling with other Christians for a few hours during the week, then heaven is not for us. If we sit in the pew, maybe even this morning, lifeless, and we have no zeal in our worship and we're not passionate about God. And we view this time together as a time where we can just start checking off a bunch of spiritual boxes. Then heaven is not for us. Heaven is not for us because in addition to being a place where we're no longer going to be going to be tempted with sin. And we're no longer going to have to worry about having pain in our bodies and paying bills and suffering and crying and dying. Heaven is also a place of perfect worship. It is a place where we are going to be near God and we're going to celebrate God and we're going to praise God and we're going to serve God forever. No person here has ever been part of a perfect worship assembly. But in heaven, that's exactly what you're going to find. And you're going to find it forever. Forever and ever and ever. 
That's what heaven is going to be like. But this does lead to a third question that a lot of people have is this. They say, okay, well, I see heaven is going to be awesome and full of perfect worship, but will we know each other in heaven? Will we know each other in heaven? This is a question that was actually asked by one of our Monte Vista members, and it's a great question. It's a great question. It's actually a question that I've received many times as a gospel preacher. So often people want to know, will we know each other in heaven? Will I know my mama in heaven? Will I know my father if he died in the Lord in heaven? Will I know the person who was my spouse in heaven and my kids and my grandkids? Will I know you? Will I know you in heaven? Will I remember you in heaven? Will I remember who the shepherds were of this church in heaven? Will I remember that Sean Jeffries was my preacher in heaven? Will I remember all the brothers and the sisters in Christ that I had a relationship with in heaven? If I will remember those people, if I will know those people and retain my memory, then how can I be happy? How can I be truly happy in heaven knowing that people that I do love also, some of those folks didn't make it. They didn't make it to heaven. How could I be happy in heaven knowing that, it, that some people I love did not make it? You ever had those questions before? If so, let me say a couple of things about those questions. First, let me answer this question on the slide directly by saying, yes, yes. Yes, I believe we're going to know each other in heaven. Yes, I believe we're going to retain our identities and even our memories. And here's why I believe that. I believe that because of Luke chapter 16. Go in your Bible, please, to Luke chapter 16. I mean, if you know exactly where I'm going here, this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember, Jesus told this story about a rich man, lived a great life every day, and his life is contrasted with that of a poor man named Lazarus. And the poor man lived a miserable life on this earth, and all he wanted was the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table, but the rich man was stingy and didn't want to give him anything. And both of these guys died, and the poor man, he was saved. He went to Abraham's bosom. He went to paradise in Hades, but the rich man was lost. He's in torment in Hades, and a big reason why is because he was selfish. He was stingy. He didn't help that poor man when he had opportunity. That's really the point of this story. But I want you to notice a few things in Luke chapter 16 and verse 22. In verse 22, it says, now the poor man, this is Lazarus, he died and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember. Remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all of this between us and you, there's a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from, from there to us. And he said, the rich man said, then I beg you, father, that you send him to my father's house. 
For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, that's a reference to the writings of Moses and the prophets, the word of God, the Old Testament scriptures. They would not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. So let me just say a couple of things about those verses. First, let me say this. The more I study the Lord's words there, and I've studied them a lot and preached a lot of sermons from that text, the more I'm convinced that this is a parable. This is a parable. It begins like a parable. It's structured like a parable. It smells like one, talks like one, walks like one, quacks like one. This is a parable, and we need to be careful with what we do with the details of a parable. We need to be careful with what we do with the details of a parable. I seriously doubt that in the afterlife, you're going to have literal H2O there. You're going to have literal water and Hades, and people are going to have literal fingers and a literal, a literal tongue, and you're going to be able to talk to lost people and say, hey, how you doing over there? It's pretty high, I bet, isn't it? We need to be careful with what we do with the details of a parable. But let me also say this. There are some things here from this text that I think we can be fairly certain about. For example, I want you to notice how here Jesus says that the rich man and Abraham and Lazarus retained their identities. They retained their identities. Rich man was still the rich man. Lazarus still Lazarus. Abraham is still Abraham. They retain their identities and they also retain their memories. Did you notice how the rich man remembered his family? He remembered he had five brothers and Abraham remembered Moses and the prophets. He remembered the word of God. They retained their memories and they also all knew each other. The rich man knew Abraham. Abraham knew the rich man. Both of them knew Lazarus. Those are some things I think we can be fairly certain of from this text. You retain your memory, you retain your identity, and this is not the only place in the Bible that makes this point. I'm also reminded of what happened when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain. Do you remember that? Remember when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain in Matthew 17? Two departed servants of God showed up, and it was Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah showed up on the mountain, and guess what? They were still Moses and Elijah. They retained their identities. And then remember we studied 1 Samuel 28 a couple of months ago? Remember when Saul was able to talk with Samuel, and Samuel had been dead for a long time? When Samuel came to talk with Saul, he was still Samuel. He still had his identity and even his memory. He knew who Saul was. And then remember in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11, Jesus says that in heaven, we're going to be sitting around the spiritual table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though they are dead. They're going to be who they are or who they were even in heaven. And then remember in 2 Samuel 12 and verse 23, how after God had killed the child that was born to David and Bathsheba, the child they had in, in adultery, David said he knew that one day he was going to be reunited with that child. He says, I will go to him one day. 
David knew that in the next life, he's still going to be David. He's going to have his identity. He's going to have his memory. He's going to be reunited with his dead son. And then let me give you one more passage. Revelation 22. I want to show you something in Revelation 22 again, getting a glimpse behind the spiritual curtain. In Revelation 22 and verse 3, the Bible says in Revelation 22 and verse 3, there will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bond servants will serve him. Heaven's a place of service to God. But not just service, service to God, verse 4 says, and they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. Notice how in heaven, we're going to get to see the face of Jesus. We're going to actually get to see Jesus in heaven. Do you know what that means? That means that in heaven, Jesus is Jesus. In heaven, Jesus is Jesus. In heaven, Jesus has his identity, and we're going to know him, and he's going to know us, and I think it's safe to say we're going to know each other. We're going to know each other in heaven. If you want to know how all that's going to be possible and what exactly we're going to look like and what's that going to feel like and how exactly is God going to be able to wipe all my tears away knowing that I have loved ones who are lost in hell, let me just say this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answers to any of those questions because I got the same Bible that you have and the Bible doesn't tell us. I don't know because I'm not God. I don't know because I've never been to heaven. I don't know how God is going to wipe all our tears away in heaven. All I know is God is faithful and powerful enough to do it. All I know is God never makes promises that he cannot keep, and I need to trust him and have faith in him and avoid whittling on his end of the stick. I will know how God's going to wipe all my tears away when I get to heaven. But for now, I need to focus on serving him and trusting him and building relationships with you, people I'm going to heaven with and making the most of the opportunities I have to evangelize and help as many lost people as I can know Jesus. So they can go to heaven also. That's what I need to do. And so will we know one another in heaven? I think the answer is a yes. But this leads to one more question I want to answer very quickly. And that's the question of what do I need to do to go? That's the big question. I want to go to heaven. want to be with you in heaven. But what do I need to do to go to heaven? This is another question I get a lot. And whenever I get this question, I squirm a little bit. I squirm whenever I get this question because for so many people, even for so many of God's people, they believe that heaven is for people who've just done a bunch of good stuff. They believe that heaven is for people who've just done a bunch of good works. They believe that, it, that, that heaven is for those who, at the end of their lives, their good works have outweighed their bad works. If you've done a bunch of good stuff and your good outweighs your bad, then you're going to heaven. A lot of people believe that. But that's just wrong. That's just dead wrong. And let me show you why that's wrong. It's wrong because of what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 6. If you remember in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23, 
The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, spiritual death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice how when it comes to people who have sinned against a holy God, and that's all of us, we can't do enough good to go to heaven. We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't attend a certain number of church assemblies or win a certain number of souls or give a certain amount of money to the poor to deserve to go to heaven. You see, if we're going to make it to heaven at all, then it's not going to be because we earned our way there because we did a bunch of good works. Instead, it's going to be because of God. It's going to be because of God's grace. It's going to be be because of God's gift of forgiveness. It's going to be because we have received God's gift of forgiveness on his terms. We got to receive God's grace and forgiveness on his terms. And certainly that involves obeying God. Certainly that involves submitting to God and doing God's will. As Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse number 21, I do not deny that. I do not deny we must obey God and submit to God and do exactly what he says, but at the same time, we got to understand that doing God's will, it doesn't earn or merit our salvation. Our salvation is a gift. It is a gift from God. It is an act of grace from God, and I know that because the Apostle Paul said so. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. That is, works of merit, earning our way to heaven so that no one may boast. Notice how our salvation is ultimately the result of God's grace and God's forgiveness. And if we want to receive God's forgiveness and the free gift of salvation, then we got to obey God. We got to submit to God. We have to submit to God in faith. And that's exactly what you find going on in Acts 2. I'm going to take you to one more place and then we're going to close, okay? I'm going to take you to the hub of the Bible, Acts chapter 2. Remember in Acts 2, we find Peter standing before these thousands of Jews in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And he preaches to them about Jesus. He tells them they're sinners. They've killed the Messiah and they're lost. And after hearing that in Acts 2 and verse 37, Acts 2 and verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced or pricked to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promised gift of salvation. Verse 39, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. That's the Gentiles. That's us. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Notice how while our salvation and the opportunity to actually live with God forever is a gift from God. There are things we got to do to receive that gift. There are things we got to do to accept God's free gift, just like if In-N-Out hamburgers was offering us free hamburgers today. 
If in and out was offering us free double doubles all day today, we would still have to get in our car and drive to in and out to get those cheeseburgers. There's some things we're going to have to do to get God's free gift of salvation. We're going to have to believe the gospel. We're going to have to be pierced in our hearts by the gospel and repent of our sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. That is how we acquire the free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of God and those who receive God's forgiveness. Those are the people who are going to be in heaven. And so here are four questions, four questions that a lot of people have about heaven. And obviously there are many other questions that we could put on our list, but we'll save those for another time and another lesson. For now, I just hope the answers to these questions will encourage you and strengthen your faith and get you really excited about going to heaven. In fact, the best thing I could tell you about heaven is this. The best thing I could, I could ever tell you about heaven is you can go. You, my friend, no matter what you've done in your life, you can actually go to heaven. You can actually live with God forever, not because you're so good and you're so awesome, but because God is so good and God is so awesome. Because God's grace is so good, because God's forgiveness is so good. The question is, have you received God's forgiveness? That's the question. Have you accepted God's grace? Have you accepted God's grace on his terms? If not, you got an opportunity to do that as we get ready to sing this invitation song. If you're not a Christian, you have an opportunity right here and now to receive God's grace on his terms, to receive God's forgiveness on his terms by believing in Jesus, being pricked in the heart by the gospel, repenting of your sins and being baptized in this water for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you're a Christian and you have not been living that faithful life in Christ. You also can receive forgiveness from God, that gift of forgiveness if you repent. And come back to the Lord this morning. And so if there's anyone here who needs to get on the path to heaven, come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together. Lord, bow down with song.